it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to talk with Jonathan Clay of the band Jamestown Revival over Zoom video. Jonathan was born and raised in Texas and Houston area, grew up in Magnolia, Texas, and he talked about how he got into music. He met Zach of Jamestown Revival when they were in high school together, and they started writing music and recording songs around 15. They both broke off and had their own solo careers for a while. Jonathan talked about a development deal he had with Atlantic Records. Jonathan told us how Zach and his solo careers ended up becoming Jamestown Revival, the success of that first record, Utah, and all about their brand new record called Young Man. You can watch our interview with Jonathan on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Jamestown Revival. Cool. Yes, okay. so again, this is about you, your journey in music, and uh, we'll talk about the new record as well. Um, I did see, are you originally from Magnolia, Texas? Yes. Okay, yeah. born and raised there? Uh, born in Houston. Uh, but, oh, okay. Yeah, raised in, uh, in Magnolia. Moved out there when I was eight years old, nine years old. So, you know, yeah, better part of my childhood. But you lived in Houston first for the first, what, eight years or so? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, that Magnolia isn't too far away. What, like an hour? No, it's like an hour. It just, you know, it's it was definitely more rural out there. Uh-huh. You know, <clears throat> we had like horses and cows and uh, a little five acre uh, little homestead with a barn, and it's a good place wow. to grow up. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, my my family and I would just move from California to um to Nashville. But we were first looking and at in Houston, and we love the woodlands, which is up there, right by Magnolia. Yeah, the woodlands was where uh, that was like you know, uh, Zach and I used to go out to the woodlands, and we'd want to meet girls, or you know, when we were okay. really stepping out, you know, they, the woodlands <laughs> had all the good stuff. It was like Magnolia was the little, you know, it was the little country bumpkin town, and the woodlands had you know the movie theater and the nice restaurants, and you know, if you wanted to go on a date you were going to the woodlands uh, okay so, yeah i mean it's very yeah. it's very up, up, upper upper class there right i mean that little like shopping area and everything. yeah it's upper crust yeah, yeah. that mall oh. that was you know we were mall rats at that ball you know 16 years old that was was it where you'd go hang out that's funny that's so cool so but magnolia is more of like a farming town you said 
Yeah, it was you know, not necessarily farming. You know, I wouldn't say there was a ton of agriculture. It's just a, a you know, just a small Texas country town, you know. Okay. Um, everybody, from, you know, kind of newer, nicer neighborhoods coming in there. But then, you know, there were a lot of uh, a lot of lower income, you know, a lot of poor people living there. It was it was, uh, you know, just a lot of blue collar, you know, just a simple, simple little town with, you know, one gas station at the stoplight when I'm, when I moved there and then, you know, we got a McDonald's, which was a huge deal. Wow. And then, yeah, now it's, it's unrecognizably just exploded. It's crazy. It's not the same town that I grew up in, but you know, same can be said for a lot of places across this country. Now it's just, uh, there's just, it seems like there's been just a developmental explosion just as oh, far sure. as like, you know, <clears throat> now there's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and there was a gas station and McDonald's and now there's, you know, Chick-fil-A and a Home Depot. So everything's gotten a lot bigger. <laughs> there you go. Um, do you still live out in Texas or did you move? I, I do. Yeah. Uh, okay. My wife and I uh, and our two boys, uh, we live in Austin now. Oh, so cool. I went to school. Uh, let me turn this off. I I went to school for two year college in uh, for two years at uh, Texas State in okay. San Marcos, which is you know an hour south of Austin, uh-huh. maybe forty five minutes south of Austin, not an hour. Um, uh, yeah, it's so it's it was pretty close. Actually, it was only like thirty minutes. Now that I think about it, um, but yeah, we'd we'd come up to Austin, and I always felt like you know there was a cool happening scene here this would be a cool place to put down roots. Mm-hmm. So after, uh, I, I dropped out of school. I, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I just wanted to play music and start, you know, building a music career. And I just felt like school was a distraction for me. So, um, I took a break, a very extended break. I'm still on that break. Still on that break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ended up, I had a developmental deal with Atlantic records. I moved out to New York for, uh, for about six months and lived in the city, which was a really cool experience for, for a dude raised in Magnolia, Texas. Oh, I'm sure that's um, gotta be a culture shock. Yeah. Living in Manhattan for a while. Um, and then moved back here and lived back, uh, in Austin for a couple of years, you know, officially in Austin for the first time. And then went out to LA for, what we had planned to be a you know roughly a year max and then stayed out in LA for almost four years, I believe. So wow. we were out there for a while. Yeah. Okay. And we got you... out there and it was just a, like a vortex, like a vortex of time. Looked up and four years had passed. It was, oh it was crazy. Was the band formed at this point or are you still as a solo artist when you moved to LA? Uh that was so Zach and I, you know, I was kind of doing the solo thing for a while and then you know after moving back from new york to austin you know zach and i we grew up together in magnolia and then uh, he moved he moved to magnolia at uh in ninth grade so i guess we were 14 when we met and actually started writing songs together at like 15 before we could drive his mom would bring him over to my house uh i think it was every wednesday we'd have we, we would call studio night we'd it was our excuse to get to hang out during the week, you know, that's cool. Yeah. And he would, he would stay over at my place, my house, uh, not my place, my parents' house. Sure. And, um, and we would, 
<laughs> I went and got this recording software from Best Buy. This was before, you know, GarageBand, uh-huh. Pro Tools and all that stuff. It was called Magic's Music Studio. And it was like 60 bucks. And it was okay. basically a way to record on a Windows computer, you know, way back in the day. And I found my dad used to play in a, in a band. He's who taught me how to play guitar and stuff. Oh, cool. He had an old AKG uh, cardioid mic, like a stage mic from the 70s that we plugged wow. the stage mic to an XLR cable to a quarter inch down to an eighth inch adapter. It went through like four adapters and then <laughs> to into get into the, the computer the, <laughs> and into the back of the sound card, uh, into the computer. I don't know how that ever worked. Um, but yeah, that, uh, I guess it wasn't phantom powered, uh, obviously. So yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. miraculously. We got sound into the computer and started recording our own song. Um, anyways, but, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a tangent. I don't even know where I started. I love that tangent. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. real quick on that, you said your dad was a musician or is a musician? Yeah, yeah. My dad, he's he uh, he's retired now. He was a dentist, uh, okay. but he was a dentist with uh, with a passion for guitar. And you know, he I found it's been cool. I found old pictures of him, like you know, polyester pants on stage with, uh, with a guitar, uh, fronting a band and he had a band in college and they used to play, you know, they played gigs around and uh, parties and stuff like that. But he was never, uh, <clears throat> he, my dad is definitely more risk averse than I am. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm not risk averse at all. I'll go, uh, I'll go head first into some risky, risky stuff. And so risky situations, <laughs> risky endeavors, one of those being, you know, uh, committing to music, uh-huh. uh, as a full-time career, which doesn't afford you uh, a whole lot of consistency, but, uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. This has, um, he was he pretty supportive of your choice uh, he was him and, him and my, yeah him and my mom both i remember at, at 15 i told him i was like i'm going to be a musician and I, and I remember the day that i told them that and they were like you know what go for it somebody's got to be the next musician you know wow. and if it's not going to be you it's going to be somebody else so why not you my parents were always they were i i really admire that about them especially being a parent now uh-huh um, they, they did a great job of, uh, of making me feel like I didn't need to, uh, to, to really live or dream within the confines of any sort of box, which I thought was a really cool thing, uh, and allowed me to, to really, uh, pursue and nourish, uh, my creativity, which, you know, I think a lot of people, again, uh, that's a risky thing, you know, trying to make a career out of a creative, uh, you know, out of uh, some sort of creative endeavor. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. Uh, <clears throat> and it's been a, it's been quite a journey, but yeah, they were always really supportive of that. I, I credit uh, a lot of my tenacity and, and uh, my, I don't know, my, uh, my ability to take 
risks to, you know, their belief in me as a kid. I just think it's so important to believe in your kids and to, uh, I don't know, just tell your kids that they're capable. So it's one thing I've really tried to do, you know, with my own, with my own boys, starting from as soon as they can understand language, just to Uh tell them, you know, like, yeah, you can, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I don't know. Dream big. Like don't, don't live in any sort of boxes. Um, I don't know. Sounds, sounds very, very. No, but that's an incredible uh, outlook because a lot of people don't have that support. I mean, especially if your dad's a dentist, I'm sure he's successful, you know, he has a a steady job and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a musician. He's probably like, and to have him say, sure. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, go for it. I think you can do this. I think that says a lot in itself. And I think, you know, the world we're, the world we're starting to sort of um, see develop before our eyes really is so, it's so creator centric. So, you know, everybody talks about the creator economy and, you know, you have people on YouTube making careers out of making videos that, you know, that subject matter spans everything from like, playing video games to teaching somebody how to blacksmith in their garage. And it's like it, the, you can, there are so many ways to be a creator now. And I think, you know, with, with more and more uh, things being overtaken by automation and AI and stuff like that, I think, you know, our most valuable asset and currency as humans is our creativity. And I, it's the, it's the, it's the going to be the last, I think it'll be the last holdout in terms of like real human value is, is like, um, is creativity and creation and uh, art and things like that. And I think it's something that really needs to be, uh, needs to be nourished and encouraged. I completely agree with you. That's, that's a great point. Um, with that, when did you get into music? Like, were you fairly young? Did your dad want you to play guitar or? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I was one of those kids that got frustrated very quickly. And so I started and then quit guitar three times because I couldn't make a certain chord and I'd get frustrated. And, um, and then finally, I, I think I, I think I just, tried enough times that it finally started to come a little easier and that's when uh that's when i picked it up and stuck with it so i was probably 15 when i by 16 17 you know junior senior in high school i was i was obsessed with the guitar and all i wanted to do was was practice and i brought um i used to bring my guitar to school with me every single day and uh my teachers all knew and were pretty supportive of that and if i if it was like you know um free time or like if i finish a a test early or whatever you know and and that period still had 30 minutes uh i would i would usually ask to go to the choir room and there were rehearsal rooms uh or practice rooms in the choir space and uh, my choir teacher would let me practice guitar So I remember, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, And I, you know, in high school, I would, I would, uh, I I don't know, I guess I had a reputation as the guitar dude, the dude with the guitar. And so um, I don't know, it was kind of just a, 
um, I don't know. It, it was it was something that my teacher supported. So that was cool. That is cool. And were you writing songs early on as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very bad songs, but songs nonetheless. <laughs> okay. And how did you get this development deal? You said you got a development deal with <clears throat> Atlantic Records? Yeah. You know, that was um, that was back in the days of MySpace. Okay. Which, you know, so when I was uh when I was a freshman in college, there was uh Facebook was kind of just becoming a thing. Uh-huh. Um and at that point you had to have a college uh email address. email address. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was like uh it was open to six schools or something like that and then, you know, it got opened up to Texas State. And so if you had a Texas State uh email you could get on Facebook. So I remember it was like, wow, this was the, this was the dawn of social media. And then, you know, Facebook's wild, uh, wild brother was named MySpace, like the crazy kid. Um, and <clears throat> it was like the wild west on MySpace. And, uh-huh. and I remember, uh, uh, one of my friends who, who actually happened to be my drummer at the time, he's like, dude, we got to get on MySpace. Like you, we can get, you know, you can start promoting your music on there and tell people about shows and all this stuff. And so I was like, okay, what is this MySpace thing? And got on there. And it was, uh, MySpace was, was interesting because for the first time as a, as a creator, as a musician, you could actually start promoting your music without ever leaving your house. Cause before that it was, you know, we used to go put up signs at the coffee shop and at, you know, tack boards and, yeah. uh, and power line poles with a That's what we used to do. And nobody, you know, it's how quickly we've forgotten, but yeah, that was, uh, that was how you promoted was mm-hmm. physically walking around stapling flyers to things. And for the first time I could do that from my computer. So then, uh, I started, you know, really, uh, really building something. I think I, uh, you know, amassed 200,000 followers on MySpace. Wow. Yeah. Which, uh, which really, you know, that was really the impetus for, um, for my career really, because I started making a little scratch. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, I through, that was also the dawn of uh, independent music distributors and aggregates like CD Baby and TuneCore and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And so then I got my music on iTunes and I would promote it on MySpace and get sales through iTunes. And, you know, I started making money. And so I was making enough money to uh, to pay my own rent and to start. And wow. to, yeah, it was, it mean, was really huge. cool. It was huge. It was huge because I was only 19, 20 years old. And, uh, and I felt like I was able to get something going. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, um, you know, I had some Atlantic records came around and um, they wanted to try to put some money into, you know, making my next album. And uh, long story short, that, the whole thing went down in a blaze of glory. Uh, and I realized very quickly that major labels uh, um, are an interesting breed. 
and you know a lot of pitfalls you know it's interesting that they were there early on to the adopting of uh like looking at stream numbers i feel like you know, you had two hundred thousand yeah. followers on MySpace, and they're like, "Oh, this this guy's got something going on already. Like he's, you know, making sales. Like let's get our fingers in there." When is nowadays? That's what they're doing. It's like, oh, you have a million streams on this song. Like, what what's your deal? Like, what's going on? Yeah, well, for the first time, you know, in the same way that musicians were able to promote themselves without leaving their house, um, A and R you know, A&R reps were able to discover talent without ever going to a club and seeing right. a show. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, I mean, that was really, it was such a huge uh, tectonic shift in, you know, the business of music. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of thankful to have happened to be, you know, born when I was and, and come up when I did. Mm-hmm. I just think it was a cool time because I kind of got to experience a little bit of both sides of it, you know, pre-social media and post-social media. Uh-huh. Um, I think personally, I prefer a life without social media, but <laughs> this is the world we live in. Right. It is what it is. Um, sure. Okay. Uh, so you did that. How long were you doing uh, the solo thing for a while up until yeah, when James yeah, probably, the Bible uh, So from probably a night 18 you know, 18, we'll say my first year of college, 19 till, uh, gosh, I don't know when we, we really started Jamestown probably in, uh, uh, 20, was it 2014? Okay. Yeah. Like my solo stuff was probably 2007 days. It was, it was just awful singer songwriter stuff but you know <laughs> it was me bad, trying, man. Two hundred thousand followers uh, atlantic deals you know, it was uh it was it was me trying to kind of you know find it was uh it was like feeling around in the dark for my identity you know mm-hmm. who who i was and i feel like as soon as zach and i really started jamestown and made a commitment to to start this thing we wrote our first couple songs for it. I felt like I, I unequivocally just latched onto something. It was like I had been feeling around in the dark, and then for the first time, I I grabbed something, okay. and it was uh, it was an incredible feeling. It's just just life changing. And so once once we hit the ground and started running with Jamestown, just honestly didn't didn't look back. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we wrote, I can't remember. It all starts to run together. I think we might've written the songs around 2011, put out our first EP, like 13, uh, 2014. Uh, and then, you know, we were first putting out, we wrote Utah. Uh, and then um, I remember we wrote that album and we're like, now we, we've got to record it somehow. And so we, we had a, a, a friend of mine who actually recorded some of my solo stuff as his semester project at the Texas state recording school, okay. uh, Ryan, Ryan Lippman, he moved out to LA with, with us as well. I wouldn't say with us, but we all kind of ended up migrating out to LA uh-huh. and uh, he was out there, you know, he's a, an engineer um, and uh, sound recording. 
And uh, we were like, man, could we talk you into going up to a cabin in Utah and recording these songs with us? It'll probably just be a demo, but we really got to get, we got to find a manager. We need a booking agent. We need, we need to build a team. Uh-huh. And uh, if we could just get these songs recorded, I think you know, we could, we could do this. And so him, him and uh, one of his friends, we loaded up a box truck and drove out to Utah um, to this cabin and turned it into a recording studio and recorded this this album of songs you know live to the floor no headphones no click track it was they were just live performances and we actually were like we gotta we need to record these to a tape machine and so we recorded them to an old tascam ms16 noisy tape machine from the 80s and um that we didn't realize it we thought that would be a demo with which we could go, you know, take that and try to get some people excited about our music and what Mm -hmm. we were doing. And lo and behold, that ended up being our album being Utah, which, you know, um, sold. We ended up selling like 40,000 copies of that album before as an independent band. Wow. Which, which was really cool. That was back in the days when you were still selling music. But uh-huh. uh, when we first put that out, we were we were uh, we bought one of those multi CD burners, and we were burning oh, our sure. own CDs <laughs> okay. and uh, and and stamping our CDs. We got a little stamp, and they were just printable CDs, but we stamped it with Jamestown Revival, and we had you know craft paper CD sleeves, and that was our manufacturing. Was uh, wow. We were, it was very, very DIY. Uh, somewhere out there, those craft paper copies of Utah are still out there. <laughs> Do you have one? I'm sure you, you have to have one, right? I, I don't think I have one. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dis, uh, what is it? Discogs. Maybe you can find one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah and uh and then we went out, you know, we were really playing a lot in uh, in Los Angeles and it was really really tough going trying to get any kind of traction out there because everybody's playing music everybody's mm-hmm. either uh acting or playing music in los angeles or involved in the movie industry in some way and so there were definitely days when i felt like sand on the beach i'm just mm-hmm. like there are so many other musicians out here and we were playing this open mic one night we would play everywhere we never said no to anything we said yes to everything every single opportunity to play and long story short we played this show where there were literally it was an open mic maybe eight to ten people in the in the audience lo and behold this dude had come to see this other person who was supposed to be performing there that you know a family friend had asked him to go see he was like a music executive guy And he, he wasn't too fond of that person, but he saw us play and he was like, Hey, I was here by happenstance and I love what you guys are doing. Do you guys have any, a manager? We're like, no, we don't. And his name is Mark Friedenberg and he's been our manager for over 10 years now. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And he's just, uh, he was a godsend. I mean, he was like the guy we were looking for and we just got lucky. That is crazy. And yeah, that yeah. just goes to show you, like, if there's 10 people there, it doesn't matter. I mean, all it takes is one person, right? 
Yeah, you gotta just you gotta play like you're playing to a thousand, even if there's only ten, because you don't know who those ten are necessarily. Right. Yeah, wow. so that was a, uh, and then you know Mark helped us. He was you know Mark was responsible for a lot of you know those forty thousand albums that sold. You know he helped us put a team together. We ended up putting our first album out officially through Ingrooves. Uh, just a distribution deal, um, kind of made our own little imprint label under Ingrooves. And then ultimately, um, after we did well, I remember there was a turning point in our career mm-hmm. where we started to get a little buzz around Los Angeles. And then the first, we we got our first headline show at the Troubadour and we sold it out. Wow. And I remember, I remember Mark, he was like, guys, this is just, this is just uh it's a rite of passage, like selling out the Troubadour in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's only, it's a 550 cap menu. It's not that big, but it's just, uh, it's just, a, it's a, it's just a rite of passage. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. The exit in in Nashville is probably the best, uh, you know, uh, venue I could compare it to, you know, uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, after that, we got, uh, booked to play Conan O'Brien, which was cool. <clears throat> yeah. Cause I loved Conan and then getting to go on a show. We actually got to play that twice and did Craig Ferguson, did some late night shows and, you know, I don't know. It was all these things you'd always dreamed of. They all started uh, happening. Yeah, they all started happening and happening fast. So when you're the new kid in town, uh, you know, having put out now three or four albums, uh-huh. uh, it's interesting, you know, the perspective you get. And I don't think I really appreciated how special it was to be new. Being new is uh, is such an advantage. You're, you're you know. <clears throat> The first time people are hearing about your music, the first time press outlets, the first time you're 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 the new shiny, you're the, the new shiny, shiny car. You're yeah, right. you are. <laughs> and uh, momentum can come really easy, and I think it's it's hard to generate that same sort of excitement uh, mm-hmm. subsequently. But um, yeah, that was a uh, that was they went they were a blur you know and i didn't have any kids at that point i was married uh-huh. um but you know my wife supported us uh she was our sole source of income for uh 3 years living in la wow and you know i was like playing guitar and writing songs and playing you know for 10 people and i'm like honey this is going to work out i promise just keep <laughs> keep supporting us uh, right right and she worked she worked herself silly um but it paid off and mm-hmm. uh ultimately you know our plan did come to fruition and that's uh, amazing yeah you i'm know, curious real quick because we didn't touch on it but um you uh when did the like when did you and zach get back together to to start the band it sounds like you guys are friends like in and you know, growing up in high school and then you took off on your own journeys and then you got back together yep. to form Jamestown Revival. Like how were you always just 
were you touring with each other? Like, were you always still like really close? And then it just was like, Hey, let's just play together. Or how yeah, did that we were, work? We were always really close. So when I, the two years that I was in school, Zach and I lived together. Uh, we were in a house together. Um, and Zach, I helped kind of produce Zach's first, he's acted a, a solo album. Okay. Uh, and I helped kind of produce that and co-wrote some of the songs on it. And so I was going out, I booked a little tour, you know, playing everywhere from backyard barbecues to just coffee shops to just the worst types of venues where nobody's listening. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I, I told Zach, I'm like, dude, you should come with me and uh, you should, you should open for me. <laughs> and so we, <clears throat> we toured together. And, you know, very modest, small little crowds. But what we did notice was Zach was singing. Um, so he would sing on my set. So he okay. would play a couple songs and then I would get up and play a set. And he would sing on my set and sing harmonies. And what we noticed was every time what people would, you know, would, people would come up and say hello afterwards and all that they were commenting on was how great it was when we sang together. And when, you know, they're like, man, y'all's harmonies are just fantastic. Y'all need to do more of that. Mm-hmm. So we thought to ourselves, <clears throat> if this is what people are really reacting to, then maybe we should just do more of this. And maybe we should just start a band where all mm-hmm. we do is sing harmonies and sing together. Sure. And so that's what we did. And that was, uh, that was when, you know, We'd, I'd moved back from New York. Oh, Zach lived with us in New York, actually. He he got an internship at, uh, my NR guy got him an internship at Capitol Records. Okay. So my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, got an internship at Atlantic. Zach had an internship at Capitol and I had a development deal with Atlantic. So here we were, three, three uh, young, naive Texans in the big city, <laughs> at, you know, 20 years old. Right. So- Anyways, um, yeah, when we moved to Los Angeles, we moved there with the, with the intent of getting Jamestown off the ground. It was, okay. you know, we, 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 uh, we written a four song EP we called the knives and pipes EP and, um, so believe it or not, some people still request songs from that EP and I don't even know how they find them because they're not on, <laughs> uh, they're not on, um, like Spotify or anything? No, they're not. I think maybe Pandora. I think they there's somehow it. I think something slipped through the cracks, and that EP is still out there on Pandora. But well, people are like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. The songs were funky little. You can tell they were they were uh, they were Zach and I trying to to really hone our our our. Uh, hone our edge and figure out you know what what jamestown revival really was and so that ep was really a it was a a bit of an exploratory um it was an experiment Mm -hmm. and um it was really unrefined and there is something cool about it but when we moved out to la that we that was jamestown was our that was our focus and our priority um i'm curious on this new record that you guys have coming out in uh, january you talked about Utah being you, you. You kind of did something 
that people were doing during the pandemic for that first record. Right? You like decided like, let's go to Utah in this cabin and we're going to record this thing like totally DIY. Was that something yeah. that you did for young man as well? Or was that process totally different or like, was it like a full circle moment or completely? Yeah. Different? So young man has been, um, with young man, it is, it's actually the first time we have ever worked with somebody who's serving as sole producer of the record. Oh, interesting. So we, we've either self-produced or co-produced all of our albums. Okay. Uh, so San Isabel was the only, was the first time we worked with anybody outside the band. Uh, Jamie Mefford, who uh, he, he was, you know, he was behind uh, Gregory Allen Isakov's The Weatherman, which oh, I wow. thought was just a, a just a beautiful, beautiful album. Yeah, him uh -huh. and uh, him and Isakov made that just but completely on their own by themselves. Wow. Like played all the instruments. He was the sole engineer, um, and so I got in touch with him. I'm like, man, I love what you did uh, with Greg's stuff, and let's go make a record. So we made San Isabel in a cabin and. Uh, Colorado. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was San Isabel. You know, it was part of a sort of a realigning for us, you know, and really getting back to the absolute bare bones basics of Jamestown. Mm -hmm. um, we recorded that just with our drummer. And wow. yeah, it was just me and Zach, our drummer, and Jamie in this cabin. And so it was very stripped down and it was, it was intentional. We felt like we had to distill what we do back down to its simplest form. And mm -hmm. that's what San Isabel was to almost reaffirm to us what our identity was after, you know, we got signed by Republic records after uh, we put out Utah. Mm -hmm. And that was like, it was like, it was like we were, uh, we were mechanics and, uh, and we understood how, uh, a carburetor worked and we tuned our own race car and uh and we had a system down and then all of a sudden we got into a tesla on ludicrous mode and we had no idea how it worked but it had a really fancy shiny touch screen and it went really really fast a hell of a lot faster <laughs> than our race car that was carbureted went and and we crashed the tesla uh and it it was a uh, it, to, it threw us for the biggest just head spin. Uh, I feel like we really, for a minute, just didn't even love making music anymore. Like it, Wow. Yeah. And so San Isabel for us was rediscovering our love for making music and making music with for no other purpose and with no other motivation other than to just make it for the love of making it. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really special record and moment for us and then it really set the stage for young man because i feel like we wrote young men with the confidence of knowing who we were again okay. um and San Isabel, that was put out in 2019 so like the pandemic hadn't even happened yet right it was correct. just you just decided to go hey let's just approach this this way yeah and then... that, yeah that was like a, a creative catharsis like mm -hmm. it was it was a realignment for sure uh, and then we, uh, for young man, we actually, you know, we, we, we've been hearing about Nile city sound 
for a while. It's a studio in Fort Worth. Uh, Leon Bridges uh, made his first record there. Okay. Um, Camp has done a record there. There's some really cool records coming out of there. And it was just up the road in Fort Worth. And so, you know, we thought, man, there's, there's a little scene that's happening, you know, here in Texas, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we'd known uh, Robert Ellis for a while through he, you know, he has a solo thing and uh, I need to put my phone on, on do not disturb. I keep getting these stupid notifications. There we go. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we'd known Robert Ellis for, for a while and, I always admired him uh, just immensely as a guitar player. I thought he was just, uh, you know, I, I really, I really appreciated his style. And um, we heard that he was working with Josh Block, who owned Nile City Sound, the engineer, sort of the house engineer owner of the studio. And him and Josh had joined forces and were producing records, you know, with Robert serving as producer. So we mm -hmm. thought, you know, we should give him a call. So we called up Robert and we're like, man, we're thinking we might want to make a record with you guys. And he's like, dude, let's do it. Two weeks later, he came down to Austin um, and we kind of played through all the songs we had. We co-wrote one with him just because the vibe was so good. Uh, we just <laughs> wrote a song there that day. Uh, and then he also, you know, we, we kind of polished up a couple of, of uh, tunes we had. And, uh, and then the next month we got into the stu studio, uh, in denial city and recorded our record. We recorded the whole thing in five days. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it's, it's all tracked much like our very first album. Um, it's the first album we've made that was tracked entirely live to the floor again. So, uh, and again, we ditched the headphones and it's so beautiful and wonderful how, the songs move, the tempo moves. Like a lot of the songs, if you're at the end of the song and you drag the slider back to the front and you listen to the first verse compared to the outro, mm -hmm. the tempo has changed so much by the time you oh, get to the, wow. to the okay. end. But I love that because it's, uh -huh. to me, just a performance, you know, it's so much better when it breathes and when it slightly moves to, uh, it, it needs to reflect the energy of what you're saying and, and a slight, uh, a slight excitement or relaxing of the tempo can help to make that more impactful. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like a click track just locks you in so much. You can't move. You can't, mm -hmm. you, the tempo is what it is and it's got to stay there. Um, and you know, it limits you in terms of, you know, post and what you can do and editing and stuff like that. But, uh, we didn't really do, I don't, I don't think we did, we did hardly any overdubs. Um, really? Yeah, there, everything was played to the floor. I think there was maybe three overdubs on the whole album and it was because, so we had, you know, myself and Zach, uh -huh. uh, Nick and Ed, our drummer and bass player. And, um, and then we had Robert playing guitar. Uh, I was playing guitar. And Will Van Horn was playing pedal steel and Ross Holmes was playing fiddle. And those guys, the musicianship on that floor was pretty incredible. And uh, everybody had to deliver and play their parts, but uh, there was bleed in all the microphones. And so we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't punch anything, 
you know, we couldn't fix anything, Mm -hmm. but we could, if there was something like, you know, on this, on this song, I think it would be cool if we just added this, but everybody, all the musicians were occupied. So we did have to overdub a few things, but it was, it was limited to, you know, maybe, I don't know, three or four times we did that on on the entire record. Wow. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. Uh, And it was just, it was the most fun I've ever had making an album. And I think, I think that shows we all had fun. We had a blast. There was this tiki bar down the street from the studio. (laughs) And so we'd go track and then go, you know, get all hopped up on, you know, 5,000 calorie uh, tiki drinks. Uh, I don't even want to know how much sugar and alcohol that my body was subjected to, but it was, it was incredible. Um, I like, I, I don't know. I think we want to make the next record there in the same way with the same group. I just, I feel like we really found something special and I think mm-hmm. they've got something, they've got a really cool thing going on there. And, uh, they're, you know, the buzz that they're getting and that, you know, and, and the reputation they're building, it's very well deserved. And I hope, you know, hope we can contribute to that as people hear what we did and hear the album. And this album very much is meant to be listened to as an album. Which, by the way, I'm glad that Spotify uh, changed their method of of, uh, of streaming an album. So, whereas used to it used to be uh, the default listening mode was uh, randomized. Uh huh. Now, if you go to an album and just click play, it plays the album in sequence, like it should have been all along. Oh, it does. Yeah they they just recently changed that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, whereas used to. I, yeah, I got to say Adele was like the big uh, voice behind that change. Um, I didn't she, know that. You know, petitioned Spotify. Record? Yeah, she petitioned Spotify to change it. She, you know, she made a great point. She says, look, we don't go, you know, put painstaking thought into the presentation of a full album, thinking about sequence and how the flow right. of the album works, only to just have people hit randomize. It undermines right. all the thought that as an artist, you put into the sequence of your album. Why, why right. would a random, you know, why would it be better to have it random every time? You know, if you, there is an option to randomize it, if that's what you choose to do, but by default now it plays in sequence in, in sequence, which that's I'm happy cool. about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, obviously there's a reason why you picked the first song as the first song and the last song and the last song and everything in between. It wasn't like you just said, Oh, that was the first song we wrote. So that's number one. And that's the yeah. second song I wrote, so that's number two. Well, our first song on Young Man is a really weird, interesting number called Coyote. And okay. we were, so when we first went to make this album, our first thought was, let's go to, to the ranch. We have a ranch. There's a ranch that's been in my family since the 70s uh, in Huntsville, Texas. Okay. And it's the ranch we sing about in Round Prairie Road and Heavy Heart and you know, we, we can't stop singing about this place because it's a very inspiring place. And Zach and I have been going out there since we were kids. Mm-hmm. And we thought, let's go there and try to record this album. So we got Jamie Mefford, the guy who we worked with on San Isabel. And we set up a studio in the hay barn. It was an open air studio. Wow. And yeah, we, you know, we filmed a lot out there. So I think one day we'll put out, you know, um, put out some of that footage of kind of the making of, but it wasn't the making of the album. It was the beginning of the making of the album because we didn't use any of those tracks. We recorded a whole album. We spent, you know, 
a fair amount of money that hurts to think about, but it is what it is. And that's just part of making an album. Uh Um, And we scrapped it all. But wow. So none of those songs made the, the young man record. None of it. Wow. Of it. it just, it didn't feel right to us. It just didn't for whatever reason, the way we recorded it and the, and the, our headspace, you know, and just the sounds that we were getting and the performances, we just hadn't, we felt like we hadn't explored the songs like we needed to yet. And they didn't feel compelling like we wanted them to feel compelling mm-hmm. and so we scrapped the whole thing i was talking wow. to another artist uh, uh nikki lane i was, was talking with her about it and uh i was like yeah we scrapped the whole thing she's like oh i've done it she's like it's awful it's like driving a car into the lake <laughs> and just watching it sink <laughs> I, know, uh, I was like i know it is I was like we definitely drove a car into the lake but it is what it is and you just you can't put an album out because you spent money you have to put an album out because you love it. And with young man, I can unequivocally say we love it. And so it feels good. We made the right call, even though we took a, we took a hit financially, especially coming off of a year where we took a massive hit uh, from COVID and, you know, our tour getting canceled and going into massive debt. Uh, We decided to put ourselves in more debt by throwing an album away, but it is what it is. And, uh, I'm glad we did it. I think long term, uh-huh. it was the best move. So, and you, you can always revisit those songs at a, a different time, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, my whole getting off on this whole crazy rant was talking about Coyote to bring this full circle. When we were out in Huntsville, mm-hmm. it was uh, one of the last nights of those sessions. We'll call them the Huntsville sessions. And the Coyotes were just going wild. And you can hear them all around. It's just, it's the most beautiful sound. I love it. And we, Zach started, uh, he started picking this little thing on the guitar. And, uh, and all of a sudden these words popped into my head. And we just essentially wrote this little song on the spot. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the ballad of a coyote. And it's okay. like the plight, the plight of the coyote. You know, coyotes are a bit, you know, maligned. Uh, they're, I, I think they have a bad reputation. Uh, and yeah, they're crafty. They're sly. And they'll get into <laughs> a chicken coop and, you know, uh, leave behind a few feathers. But, you know, they're, they're survivors and they do what uh-huh. they have to do. And they're a natural part of our ecosystem. And I, and I think they're, uh, I don't think the, the disdain for them is, is uh, I don't think it's warranted. And so we kind of wrote this song from the perspective of the coyote, you know, just kind of being on the run and people trying to take you down, but you're Uh just surviving. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like coyotes blues, you know, the chorus is just coyote, coyote howling at the moon. And uh, it's, it's got this cool little pedal steel kind of like uh, in, in style of sleepwalk. It's like this long weepy pedal steel line Mm -hmm. and, uh, it really sets the tone for the album. It's not a song that would ever become a single or anything like that. And it's a weird, quirky song. But we, we thought, what better of a song than to, than to prepare the listener for the rest of this album? And so going back to Spotify, it's like, that's important to us. To, uh-huh. For that to be the first thing that people hear when they sit down and they want to listen to this album and experience this album is for them to start with that song. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. So, I like that. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, like, like you said, it's that you spend all this time and you figuring out the sequencing of the album and the songs and why the song is going to go where it is. And then to have the computer just say, no, you know, I think that this song has like six more listens than this one. So this one's going to go first in the algorithm that we're going to play for you today. I mean, yeah, it just yeah, doesn't make I much mean, sense. There is a, when we make albums, we really, really strive to make albums. And I think we've gotten closer and closer every time, you know, missteps here and there. But mm-hmm. I think, especially with San Isabel and now Young Man, I think we've gotten closer and closer to making just for us what will what could be a defining album. And we'll probably never think we really made that. But um, uh, needless to say, I'm very, very proud of how this one turned out. I can't wait to to get it out there, especially just with how weird everything's been and just, uh-huh. you know, the, um, um, a new album can be a lifeline, you know, it's been, uh-huh. uh, it's been, it's been an interesting couple of years. Sure. So, sure. you know, <laughs> this tour yeah. coming up next, uh, in, in January, is that going to be your first shows back or have you played? We've, we've played shows here and there. Okay. Um, but, uh this will be our first tour back for sure okay that's exciting i'm sure you're pretty pumped about that i am excited you know playing like fly dates and one-offs it's just it's hard to get into a rhythm Mm -hmm. and you know touring where when we're touring if i'm going to be away from my family and we're you know it's very expensive to tour we have you know there's 11 of us now and out you know between crew and band and it's like it's very expensive. There's a lot of overhead. So when we go out on tour, we're playing at least six nights a week, sometimes seven. Yeah. Uh So, but it's a little, it can be a little fatiguing, but at Uh the same time you get into a real rhythm and it's, it's cool to get into that rhythm and to feel like it's just automatic. You get up there and you know, it's you and your best friends on stage and Uh you can, you can share a thought without even looking at each other. And that's a cool thing. That's really cool. And you're doing two nights in San Diego. That's where I'm from. And you're playing the belly up, which I saw is cool. I love that. Video. Yeah. Back at the belly up. It's been a good, uh, that's been a good anchor for us out there. We've had some really good, you know, I think the past four or five times we've played it, it's been sold out. So let's hope we can keep it going. That's so cool. Uh, and one of my yeah. favorite ones in San Diego, one of my favorite venues. So, so you're doing two nights. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've started just when we go through there now, just doing uh, two back to back nights, which is cool. Do you guys, where do you stay in San Diego when you go? Uh, on the, on the bus. Oh, you yeah. do? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We sleep on the bus uh, pretty much every night because, because the bus rolls, you know, our bus calls typically 2 a.m. So, wow. you know, yeah, it would use, the first four nights I sleep awfully on the bus, just uh-huh. terrible, because uh, I'm rolling and I'm I don't know I get scared sleeping while you're rolling down yeah like, exactly. sixty-five miles an hour I yeah. get a little scared I'm like oh this doesn't feel safe and sure. then you just get used to it and uh, yeah at least it's a big it's a big big bus you know, 
it's a big <laughs> vehicle so yeah uh they, i don't know i seek some like mental solace in that but yeah it's uh the first four nights i sleep terribly you wake up you know load ins typically 10 30 11 and uh-huh. then sound check following and then grab some food play a show and maybe get into a little trouble after the show and uh everybody be on the bus by you know 1 30 because it's uh-huh. wheel, wheels up at two and uh and then you sleep through the night as you're traveling which to me is just the the most wonderful luxury of being able to, to travel by bus is that i actually get to um <clears throat> get up and like exercise and find a good place to get some food and mm-hmm. take care of myself mm-hmm. um which is a lot of the reason why we're able to play six, seven nights a week, because we're all able to take care of ourselves and actually get, you know, having to get to a hotel and then drive all the next day. And, you oh, know, it's gotta be brutal. trying to make, I can't tour. I, I don't know. I can't tour like that anymore. Yeah. That's a, that's a young person's game. And, you know, <laughs> getting younger. I am not right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. man, I can't wait to hear the record. And, um, congratulations on the tour coming up that's amazing and i appreciate your time today this has been awesome yeah man i appreciate you having me and uh yeah thanks for supporting the record of course you know it's uh it it feels good to be getting back at it so yeah thanks for helping to kick that off sure i do have one more quick question for you i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists advice for aspiring artists Um, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a bit of an eternal optimist in that I just, I really believe that we are all master of our own destiny. And, um, I think that, you know, there, some people I think ask, you know, other artists and aspiring musicians have asked me that as if there's an anecdote or uh, a formula. And the, the truth is, is that there absolutely is no formula. And my route to a career and my path to a career is different than everybody else's path to a career. Because what I can do is different than what somebody else can do. And um, the lucky breaks I've caught are different than the lucky breaks that somebody else is going to catch. But I think the one constant throughout all that is tenacity and drive, having the tenacity and drive to put yourself in a position to catch lucky breaks and to increase your odds of a lucky bounce and, um, and to increase your odds of success, barring any sort of lucky bounce and putting yourself in the driver's seat because of the legwork that you've done. And so honestly, my advice, and I know this is, you know, it's not specific, but the truth is, is that the path is not specific. The path is as varied as, you know, as there are creators out there. But the one thing that remains constant is, is the fact that you just wake up every single day um, excited uh to advance your career and figure out figuring out knocking on every door and just your brain always thinking about it consciously and subconsciously what can i do how can i do it better how can i look at 
you know, the feedback I'm getting and do more of what's working and less of what's not working? How can I be one step ahead of the curve? What does the future look like? Where is the business going? What kind of things are new and what is everyone talking about? And how can I be one of the first ones in? You know, it's like, that's my advice is just get hungry and get your hands.